you know, we live in a country where your beginning has really not much to do with your end. And what you do in between is up to you. That's Wally Buono, the winningest coach in CFL history. My special guest today on Countless Journeys. Buono led the teams he coached to a remarkable five Grey Cup wins. And that's on top of the two Grey Cups he won as a player. Wally and his older brother came to Canada as children, arriving from southern Italy in the early 1950s. They made the journey by ship with their young mother. They landed at Pier 21 in Halifax and then boarded a train to Montreal, where their father was awaiting their arrival. My conversation with Wally Buono up next. journeys. I was fresh, you know, and I was given the opportunity to, to do and learn whatever I wanted. My grandmother and my family were part of that working class population that people refer to as blue collar workers. I arrived here in December 46 and I will never ever regret it. <laughs> never. Whenever I think of blue collar worker, I think of my grandmother ironing her blue shirt to go to work. Nous sommes venus ici, le Canada nous a donné le meilleur. Alors, donnons au Canada le meilleur. At that time, it was Portuguese women coming to Canada, like my mother. We were coming here to build a better life, but also to help build Canada. J'ai vraiment réalisé la force de ce pays. Everywhere I travel now, there's no place like coming home to Canada. Welcome to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo. Growing up in Toronto as the kid of Italian immigrants and as a sports fan in particular, I remember how great it was to hear and see that name everywhere, Wally Buono. His name always jumped out at me and made me feel that extra bit of pride in my background. And his name was mentioned a lot because he was such a force in Canadian football. By the way, in Italian, buono means good. And boy, was buono ever good. He was better than good. He was great. He was legendary. First, as a player in the 1970s and 80s, winning two Grey Cups with the Montreal Alouettes, and then as a coach. During his 13 seasons as head coach for the Calgary Stampeders, the Stamps won three Grey Cups. Then in Vancouver, buono coached the BC Lions, winning two more Grey Cups, and remaining with the Lions until his retirement in 2018. I had the pleasure of speaking with Wally Buono recently from his home in Vancouver, and I'm very excited to share that conversation with you right now. I began by asking Wally to tell me a little bit more about where his family was from. Well, my uh, mother and father are... Actually, my uh, father was from uh, uh, Potenza, and my mother was from Tito, which is a, a little town or a little village uh, in the province of Basilicat. And uh, they lived there for a short period of time. And uh, my father came to Canada with his older brother in 1951. And at that time, uh, I was basically, let's just say, a year and a half. And my brother probably was three years old. And then in 1953, after my father 
was in Montreal working for two years, uh, was able to bring his family uh, to Canada, and uh, they settled uh, in Montreal. And uh, my mother and myself and my brother took a boat, I think, out of Naples to Halifax. And from there, uh, I think we took a train uh, to Montreal, and uh, that's where we started uh, I guess our journey in Canada. Do you have any memories uh, of that boat ride? You know, there's not many memories of all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess trying to imagine, uh, you know, immigrants coming from uh, a country like Italy to a, a country like Canada, the hardships, the language barriers, the cultural barriers, the, uh, you know, it had to be uh, very, very difficult. And then, you know, to think of uh, a woman who, uh, was I'm going to say my mother maybe was 23 years old I don't know you know and she had two boys and they had to uh, get from uh, Basilica to Naples and then from Naples on a boat to Halifax and then uh, from Halifax uh, get into a foreign country where you couldn't speak the language to a place you probably don't even know where it was uh, it had to be uh, uh, very very frightening and you know, but yet uh, their quest for a better life, uh, you know, obviously is what drove them to do all this. Tell me a bit more about that that quest for a better life. Uh, you know, I know about Southern Italy and the hardships there, but a lot of people maybe aren't aware of of what Southern Italy was like at the time. Why did your family leave Italy? My uh, my mother uh, came from a farming family and. Uh, I think my father, if I'm not mistaken, was a sheep herder. And uh, what had happened from my understanding is that my grandfather remarried. Uh, his uh, family from his first wife were all put out to uh, become uh, shepherds. You know, so they basically, uh, you know, lived out in the fields with, with, the, uh, with the sheep. And uh, my Mother came from a, a culture where all the marriages were arranged by the father. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was, I think, one of eight children, and she was the last of the uh, children. And uh, from my talking with her, she, uh, she didn't uh, abide by, I guess, the traditions of that time where your father picked your husband. Uh, she had my father uh, in mind and somehow broke away from that tradition. and. Uh, married my father, whose name was Michael. You know, and so from there, I guess they had uh, two children. And uh, from my understanding, my father and his older brother came to Canada. I think at first they uh, they went to Peterborough, worked in the orchard fields there and come to realize that uh, they could make more money if they worked construction uh, in the big cities. So they moved to Montreal and, uh, you know, worked in the construction industry. It's a it's a it's a classic story of of Italian Canadian immigration, uh, taking the boat across, taking the train across, and then working in construction. Your father died when he was quite young, and when you and your brother were were quite young. Can you talk to me about about the impact of that on your family? Well, you know that's uh, the impact. I think uh, when I think about it, at the age I am today. It's, you know, how difficult that would have been for my mother because, uh, you know, she was uh, a young woman and had nobody, she had no family. Mm -hmm. 
No family in town at all? Uh, no, not really. That's hard. Yeah, you know, so that was difficult. And, you know, then she had to get on her feet and she had, uh, you know, to find a way to uh, make a living so she could support her two boys. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, that was difficult. And uh, she did. You know, the, the the sad part about all this, Paula, is that, uh, you know, somehow, some way, uh, we ended up at uh, Shawbridge Boys Farm, and we were there for basically three and a half years, uh, you know, while my mother was able to get back on her feet. And, uh, you know, so that was uh, a time where there was a separation, and, uh, you know, we were, as I say, we were wards of the province. And uh, my mother found the job. Uh, I just started to, uh, you know, save her money. And, uh, you know, before you know it, uh, three and a half years passed. And, uh, you know, we were brought back. And, uh, you know, then we resumed our life like nothing ever happened. Right? Those kinds of separations, that's that's incredibly tough. Um, tell me a bit about your mom. I mean, it sounds like she, she was... She had to be very strong. How was she able to do that, um, what she had to do in order to ensure a future for, for her family? You know, my mother, God bless her, uh, you know, she was young. Uh, you know, uh, as we grew older and, uh, you know, you find out more about her, you know, she was a very uh, determined woman, uh, you know, very strong. And uh, her family uh, always meant uh, so much to her and stuff, right? My mother, God bless her, this is what I do know, okay? In 1962, 63, 64, she made 75 cents an hour. Wow. Okay. So she raised a family of two boys um, on 75 cents an hour. And she knew one thing, if she didn't go to work, you didn't get paid. And no matter what you were, whether you were sick or whether you were this or that, you had to go to work. What was her job? She worked for Expert Candy. Huh. Basically, they made chocolate. Okay, so, you know, we didn't have a lot of food, We, you know, but we always had chocolate. <laughs> 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 no, seriously. Like, like my mother, you know, we would buy, here, we would buy uh, bread that was two or three days old. Wow. Well, no, that's yeah. You know, it's what you could afford. Yeah. Here, here, here was dinner, okay. Uh, pasta and peas, pasta and potatoes, pasta and beans. Okay. Okay. You were lucky if you got a piece of meat, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I told my wife the other day, I said, "Dan, you don't know what hungry is because you've never eaten chicken's feet." Huh. Okay. Yeah. Immigrants ate the chicken feet. They ate the chicken neck because they didn't throw nothing away. Of course. Yeah. And my mother would say, eat a chicken. Oh, no, no. You you don't eat a chicken because they lay eggs. <laughs> of course. You eat, the, you eat the rooster when it dies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading a bit about how, you know, your, your, your family uh, became very present in your in your role as a football coach, um, especially with the BC Lions, I wonder how did did players respond to that? Did players see the importance of family to you? Was it something that had an impact on them? Well, 
you know, you know what they say, right? Uh, words uh, are one thing, actions are another thing, right? You know, what you're trying to do with a football team is build a family uh, structure, build a family uh, uh, atmosphere. You know, obviously, if, if you show uh, love and respect to your children and to your wife, uh, you know, the players see that. Uh, they, you know, they see that your words aren't uh, idle or they're not empty. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of them don't necessarily always come from that. Some of them come, a lot of the players come from broken homes. Uh, a lot of them come from homes where uh, it's single parents. You know, a lot of them come from uh, really hard uh, background. So, you know, to show uh, that, I think, is also uh, helping them to become uh, men and, uh, you know, to show that a man needs to be strong, but it doesn't mean that he can't be compassionate or loving, right? Hmm. You know, as much as as coaches, uh, our job is to win and uh, is to drive people to, you know, uh, reap success. There's also the other aspect that uh, players want you to care about them. And, uh, you know, you put your arm around them and give them a, a hug or give them a pat on the back or give them a word of encouragement. You know, is that uh, you being there for them other than what they do on the field or on the ice uh, speaks volumes to them. When you were a kid starting out in sports, is there anyone that did that for you, put their arm around you or or, or gave you that that mentorship uh, when you were just starting out? Well, you know, it, it, it is. Uh, we have a fellow, his name was Alf enough, uh, and he played with the uh, with the Montreal Alouettes for a short time. And uh, Al actually was, you know, was my first uh, uh, coach, you know, and come to find out, uh, you know, he was from a, a Christian family in Montreal North. And, uh, you know, he was the... Uh, individual that uh, got my brother and I involved in sports after uh, we were returned to my mother. And, uh, you know, he was the guy that, uh, you know, cared about us, uh, you know, took us off the street and put us into a, a more structured environment, I guess, because, you know, even at the, at that level when we were, I think I was 12, my brother was 13, uh, uh, going to practice at night, having to be responsible to do all that helps you to, you know, have somewhat of a purpose. And then all of a sudden you start realizing that uh, this is something you enjoy doing. This is something that you're good at. And uh, this is something that makes you feel good. Uh, you know, all of a sudden your life has a little bit more direction and a little bit more purpose. When did you realize that that it could become a profession for you? When did you realize, hey, I, I'm I'm actually good at this? Well, you know what I you, you, I didn't. Uh, you know, I, I played uh, all the sports. I enjoyed all the sports. I had a number of scholarships, and you know, so the football, uh, you know, was something that I was good at. Uh, and you know, fortunately for me, I did get a degree in education. And, you know, to give you a little story, when when, uh, when I was uh, 18 or 17, I can remember, um, I remember uh, telling my mother that I was going to go to school to go to college. And she said, why do you want to go to college? Why don't you just go get a job? 
Hmm. You know, that was the mentality of, of uh, the immigrant was, you know, go find a job, go work hard, and you'll have a good life. Classic uh, in those days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the, the mindset was different. And to them, uh, hard work uh, never killed you. And they emphasized that to you over and over again. Uh, work hard. It won't hurt you. It won't kill you. You're mentioning your your bachelor's of education that you got uh, while you're at university. How how did your teaching experience play into your coaching success? And one of the things that's most important, as I you know, you learn over time, is the fact that um, when you're trying to get people to uh, learn uh, to understand, you've got to reach them at their level. Not everybody's like you, and uh, you know, and you don't give up on somebody because he hasn't uh, grasped uh, what you're asking him to do right away. And I remember one player. I'm not going to mention his name. He was dyslexic, huh? And we didn't realize that he was dyslexic. You know, so there's, you know, I hate to say this too, you know, you you start beating your head thinking, why can't this guy figure this out? It's not that hard. Well, you know, if you know anything about dyslexic, yeah. you know, it's uh, for him, when you're talking to him, you're talking to him, everything is backwards, everything is, you know. And uh, so after uh, we had him see our sports psychologist and our sports psychologist said to us, I, I think he's dyslexic. And because of that, all the stuff that you're trying to teach him is very, very confusing and difficult for him. Wow. And, and he turned out to be an outstanding player. And once we, you know, changed our approach, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the light turned on, right? Now, who did it turn on, for him or for us? <laughs> okay, I'm saying it turned on for us because our job is to get the individual to do what we want them to do. And, you know, so you have to find a way to create an environment where he can succeed. And we weren't doing that. So we were failing at our job. We were failing as educators. We were failing as coaches. One of the things that your success allowed you to, to do was to get involved outside of the sport, uh, you know, in making an impact. There was the venture the BC Lions did um, against violence against women. There's the work you've done with making the connection, the Royal Columbian Hospital Foundation, the ALS Society, and, and on and on. What has it meant to you to be able to partake in those kinds of activities? Well, you know, I mean, part of that is, is uh, as a public figure, you have a responsibility to, uh, you know, to get involved. You get involved in things that have affected you. You know, ending violence against women uh, is something that, if you think about it, and, you know, when I listen to my mother, I can remember her talking about uh, the abuse of women in her culture and her, in her society. You know, that's not something that's not, that wasn't absent from the Italian culture. For me, it was easy to understand it was easy to say yes you know it's the male that's got to change so therefore if we could be a voice for that to other men then we could help change that yeah you know so certain things like that uh you know again part of 
I believe, uh, uh, responsibility, but also people seeing that, that, that you, you're involved uh, helps them to get involved. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so from that perspective, uh, when I can do things, you know, like right now I do a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes work with, uh, uh, you know, the BC Women's Health Foundation. When you when you look back on on your career, uh, especially considering your 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 story, your amazing story, and and coming from poverty and immigration and hardship, uh, I wonder if you could reflect for a moment just on on what it meant to you to to be able to have the success, as you say, a tremendous tremendous life. I wonder if you could reflect on that for a second. Well, you know, Paul, one of the things that uh, you know, and, and sometimes. Uh, you don't realize what's been given to you. Uh, you know, I'm, a good example was, uh, you know, I received the Order of Canada. You know, and I, I don't think till this day I, I still realize what that honor means because uh, I got that honor for doing what I enjoyed doing and mm. what I was good at. Mm. Uh, you know, I didn't invent any cure for COVID. I, I didn't create a program that uh, saved millions of people. Uh, you know, I didn't necessarily do anything that made uh, our country stronger or safer. Okay, I didn't create an educational program to help, you know, kids with learning this. You know, I mean, I, I went out and did a sport that all my life I enjoyed. The thing that uh, impressed me the most was one of the last things I did as a coach uh, in GM was, was they asked me to uh, sit in when I think 50 uh, immigrants got their citizenship. Because I was in, uh, in the Order of Canada, I was able to preside over the ceremony. And, and how much it meant uh, to see the people come up and accept uh, their entry into Canadian citizenship. It was surreal. Hmm. Okay, you know, because you remember, these people were no different than, you know, I guess my family, my father, my mother, when they came from where they came from, to try to start a new life, to try to make a better life for themselves and their family. You know, so that kind of uh, brought everything back, and it makes you realize that, you know, we live in a country where you're beginning has really not much to do with your end. And what you do in between is up to you, right? Mm -hmm. All of us get opportunities. Uh, all, all of us face disappointments. But, you know, Canada, God bless it, as a country, has given uh, a lot, a lot of immigrants the ability to achieve what maybe in their own country they couldn't have achieved. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard they tried, we, we, we've had a, a blessed life. And, uh, you know, uh, the thing that I just still don't understand is the amount of courage uh, that the immigrants of the 1900s, after World War One, after World War Two, and even up today, I'll never know is, uh, how it is that you leave everything uh, for what you don't know. Today, we always want to know what we're getting into before we get into it yeah don't take a job unless you know everything don't get into a relationship unless unless you know everything 
But, you know, they, I'm not sure they even knew what they were coming to. No. Think about this. You lived in southern Italy. Nice, warm winters. You land, you get off your train, you, land, you get off in Montreal, and it's bitter, cold snow in March. I mean, I just can't imagine, uh, you know, I just can't imagine what they thought. It was like I said, I, I, I've had a blessed life and uh, I have no complaints. Uh, Coach Bono, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, it's It's been a tremendous honor to speak with you. And uh, thanks again for everything. Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, thank you. That is the legendary CFL coach and player, Wally Buono. My name is Paolo Petropaolo. Thanks to you for joining me for this episode of Countless Journeys. The Countless Journeys is produced by Tina Pitaway, mixed by Natasha Aziz, for the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. To learn more about the museum, visit pier21.ca. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, follow, and share. Bye for now.